Welcome to the Underscore Transformation podcast. My name's Jason West. And my name's Joe Wales. And together we're the founders of Underscore. This week's episode is the first in a bonus mini-series that focuses on the future of work and the impact that the global pandemic has had on organizations that were already dealing with seismic changes in the workplace. Given that these changes primarily affect people and business transformation is at its core a fundamentally human endeavor, we'll be talking to a number of HR professionals who have been on the front line of their organization's response to the pandemic. This week and next, we're joined by three special guests. Mark Whedon, who's the International HR Director at Zuora, Steve Hunt, who's Head of Talent Acquisition at City, and Richard Phelps, management consultant and co-founder of the Human Times News Service. The focus of our discussion this week was on the rapid disruptive change to working practices brought about by the pandemic and their organization's response over the past few months. There's some really great practical advice and real world experience in the, this week's episode, isn't there, Joe? Mm, absolutely, there is. In fact, there was so much content, Jason, that we've had to split this discussion over two podcasts. Yeah. In this week's episode, um, Jason, we're dealing with the immediate changes to working practices and the initial stages of our guests' response. Mm -hmm. um, and then next week, um, we'll be focusing a lot more on the medium to long-term implications of the changes made in the past few months. Perfect. So we've yeah. got three expert HR professionals lined up ready to talk to you today. Um, they've got first-hand practical experience of dealing with rapid disruptive change. So let's uh, hand over to them now to introduce themselves and we'll get started with our conversation. My name is Mark Whedon. I'm HR Director at Zora. We are a US-based technology company, so we power those organizations which provide subscription-based services to their customers. Uh, in my role, uh, it's, a, you know, it's a generalist HR role across the whole HR spectrum, um, and most of my role is looking after the non-US territories across EMEA and Asia-Pacific outside of the US. As you mentioned, I also founded and chair the International HR Forum, which is a home to around 210 HR directors with international remits. I dread to think how long ago that was. I think it was 13 or 14 years ago. Thanks, Mark. Next up, we have Steve Hunt, who heads up talent acquisition at City in EMEA. Thanks, Jason. Uh, yep, so I work for City, um, the global financial services provider supporting uh, institutions, governments, corporations, as well as consumers. Uh, operating um, all over the world. Uh, I'm the EMEA head of talent acquisition, so we're hiring around 10,000 people uh, on an annual basis into 54 uh, different countries, leading a team of uh, just under 200 uh, across the region. Prior to my time in City, uh, I was the global head of uh, talent acquisition at uh, Coupang, uh, an e-commerce provider based out of Seoul, very similar to uh, to Amazon. Prior to that, I was with uh, Qatar Airways in the Middle East, uh, running global recruiting as well. Uh, and um, prior to that, with, with the Talis Group uh, for a number of years, um, building out a talent acquisition model from the UK into other countries. And before I was um, on the corporate side, uh, I was 11 years as, a, as an executive search consultant. Thanks, Steve. And we're delighted to be joined by Richard Phelps, who's the co-founder of the Human Times, management consultant and serial entrepreneur. Thanks, Jason. Um, yeah, I'm co-founder and owner of the Human Times. Uh, the Human Times is a, uh, a daily digital newsletter that we send out to 
many thousands of HR professionals globally. We have four editions, Middle East, uh, North America, UK, Europe, and Scandinavia. Um, It's free of charge for anyone who would like to subscribe to that. Uh, My background is, is basically... As a management consultant, I worked uh, for Towers Watson, uh, then started my own business uh, in people analytics and sold it to PwC and and became a partner of PwC and led their global HR consulting practice. Um, But good to be here today. Thanks, Richard. Now, we're going to get started this week uh, talking about the future of work. It's uh, been a hot topic well before 2020, and it's a broad headline covering a wide range of stories and ideas from automation and AI through flexible project-based working and the gig economy to utopian or perhaps dystopian visions of a new social contract that includes a generous universal basic income to address a, a future mass underemployment caused by the rise of the machines. Perhaps if we start with you, Mark, in your industry, has coronavirus simply accelerated inevitable change or presented something more like an existential threat? Well, just looking at Zora, we're, we're in you know, the very fortunate position of, of being a cloud-based company. Uh, and so we have recurring revenues. So um, you know, we, we've got a, predicted, a fairly predictable revenue stream. Um, and we've got money in the bank. So we had, uh, before we floated in uh, um, uh, April 2018, we had three rounds of funding and uh, you know, a fairly healthy um, you know, bank balance and the, and the flotation on the New York Stock Exchange gave us a little bit more. So um, it hasn't been a threat to our existence in the same way it has been to other organizations, particularly those you know, in the leisure, hospitality sectors, for example, where I know it, it's had a massive impact. Um, but if you if you do take things at a broader level, um, you know, not not wanting to limit the the, the terrible impact that COVID has had, um, you know, there has been a seismic political, economic, and social disruption caused by the pandemic. And and what I'm seeing, um, even within Zora, which is is you know, quite insulated compared to other businesses, uh, but certainly through my network as well, um, you know, what we're seeing is there's been um, you know more change in the world of work. In the last three months, than say over the prior three decades, I'd suggest. Um, and again, even though we've been reasonably fortunate from a, a stability perspective at Zora, we're still, even we're still dealing with stuff that we've never had to deal with before. Um, so you're having to deal with the pandemic and all that entails in terms of pivoting from you know quite an office-based culture before to one which is 100% remote, more or less overnight. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's put a lot of stress on the organization. But, um, you know, the, the, the great news is we're still here, we're still fighting. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's had a, a big impact on us um, in terms of um, how we deal with uh, sort of business continuity, employee engagement, all the impact around that. So it's been a busy time, yes. Uh, thanks for that, Mark. And uh, Steve, from a, uh, a, a different angle, City, obviously a, a vast organisation. How, how's it? How, how's it affected life in City? Well, I think it's it's fairly nuanced, depending on um, the starting point. Uh, I think as a as a completely you know global organisation, obviously we're used to work, working um, with lots of international stakeholders remotely. So you know, I think that you have a lot of credit in the bank if you if you start from that point. I think the, the challenge has been as it's evolved. I think you know, to start with, it was very much about how can we, how can we continue to serve clients? How can we 
continue to um, successfully operate uh, and get 190,000 people working remotely. Um, so, you know, obviously logistical technology challenges, people challenges. But I think once we got over that, once we got over that crisis period, it was then, you know, how do we operate more effectively um, in this mode? And how do we then think about the future? Uh, and, and there's so many issues because, from a, particularly from a people perspective, as I said, I think it's you've got that cultural credit of having people who've worked together for a long time. And as a as a global organisation with a lot of tenure, you know you, that really helps because you, you've built up a lot of those relationships over time. But now, sort of three months into it, you think we've got thousands of people who've joined the organisation that have never been to an office. So we're now facing a completely different set of challenges than we were just two months ago. Um, yes particularly when you think about things like cross-border working. So you've got people who, because of the pandemic, are working in one location but actually are employed in another location. Um, so then that really drives a lot of discussions around location strategy uh, and obviously talent. So, yeah, many, many challenges but very nuanced uh, as, the, as the, the time has passed. Yeah, yeah, and then at the other end of the scale, I guess, Richard, the the Human Times is uh, about, about the same age as Underscore, about four years old, I think. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the, it'd be great to get your perspective from the Human Times perspective, but also what what you're seeing in the broader industry is, you know, obviously you guys process a huge amount of news around people and human human uh, human resources. I mean, from operationally, from our perspective, it's it's been quite positive because um, we we have been forced to become much more digital and um, we for, we're forcing our, our not so forcing, but people are becoming more independent and resilient uh, around the digitalization or, you know, of work. Um, so, it, you know, it's actually been quite positive also. I mean, our, you know, we, we basically deliver our, our news remotely uh, through, through the internet. Um, and it's been very good for our business. We found that we've, you know, in terms of our subscribers, they they've shot up, um, and we've just launched a new, a new product called the the World of Work, which is a, the largest media media intelligence database in the world, and we're getting a lot of interest in that. So, from our perspective, it's been frankly quite positive. Um, um, and you know, the negatives, I guess, and I'm sure it's the same for everyone, is that. You know, we're on Zoom calls a huge amount of the time, and it's you know it's getting used to the new the new environment. It's not so much getting used to it now, but it's become more more normal. Um, but I think more broadly, when we're looking at the, the whole news piece, um, clearly, you know, in terms of the future of work, I mean, everything has got a lot. Everything's sped up. Um, you know, we've had to do all this operational work, um, or organisations have. You know, spent thousands and thousands of people would work from home over two or three days notice um organizations are basically now looking i think more towards well what 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 next i mean people have been working at home for for two or three months and you know i think there are some real questions now about how how do we manage ourselves through through the recession um because i think it's much it's quite relatively easy in terms of getting massive change in a crisis but we're going to now start to face a, a new normal of of more and more people working remotely how do you foster engagement you know how do you i mean there are advantages as well so there are many pros and cons but 
it opens many questions. Yeah, yeah. And we'll get on to the kind of what comes next piece. But before we do, as we focus on those kind of those early stages of the crisis, the, the kind of the survival stage, what were the, the kind of the key challenges that, that faced HR functions and how, how, how well set up were they to respond as quickly as they had to respond to, to, to the demand? I found it quite interesting and challenging in the sense that although the pandemic was slowly creeping beyond Beijing and we're a global organization, we've actually got an office of, of about 130 people in, in, in Beijing. So we, we probably got an early heads up that something was afoot. And so we were trying to do things within the business that other businesses hadn't quite cottoned on to, particularly around closing offices early, et cetera. So the initial challenge from an HR perspective was, was frankly getting some leaders to acknowledge that there was an issue which we actually had to respond to, particularly um, in those regional sales offices we have where you know, there's still customer meetings going on, there are deals which had to be closed, negotiations, training, all that sort of thing going down. Um, and I'm kind of saying, actually, you know, it, it's, it's coming our way. There's cases increasing in Milan, in Madrid, et cetera. Um, so the initial challenge for me was, was, was getting to leaders to acknowledge, actually, we, we do have to do something here. Um, and then once that tipping point had been passed, it's then around working with the leaders to ensure that there's business continuity. So, so making sure that, we're, that there's minimal disruption to the business. Um, you know, we still got pipeline to build. We still got deals to close, etc. So, so making sure that we we were able to close the offices but maintain our productivity you know, became the next challenge. Um, and around all of that, then leads to how you actually engage with your teams at a time when it's new to everybody. So it, it was very much uncharted waters, and um, you know, you, you're basically going across this uncharted ocean, navigating blind to a certain degree. And so the final challenge to us was kind of wrapping our arms around this to ensure that we, we had a globally consistent approach as to how we respond to the crisis as it hit different parts of our organizations at different times and in different ways. And, and so to that end, we, we, we kind of created a, a global initiative it's called the, the COVID crisis team. <laughs> so we, we created that team with the, the initial remit to own office closures business continuity, scenario planning, engagement, internal comms, customer engagement, all that sort of thing. And, and yeah. to be fair, we actually, you know, in, in, if, if we look back at what we've achieved over the previous three months, it, it's actually been a phenomenal amount. So once we got our, our, uh, you know, the initial, over the initial hump of, yes, we've got a problem, we need to respond to it, let's put our arms around it, uh, then it, it, it's, it started to work pretty well. But I have to agree that there were initial challenges faced by HR. Yeah. And um, were these, uh, did you have kind of um, emergency plans in place that you could draw on or was this very much dealing with the crisis as it unfolded? So we have business continuity plans for certain scenarios anyway. And so most of them do involve, for example, if we lose our IT infrastructure or if we lose access to a particular office, et cetera. Um, but that, they're quite local and they're quite event-driven. Mm. Um, so we had to deal with developing a new set of scenarios which was based around somebody wandering into the office who tests positive for covid so we hadn't we hadn't had a pandemic flavor to our, our business continuity plans so uh, yeah. we, we very quickly had to adapt to that and uh, the scenario plans were all built around um you know if i've been in contact with somebody who's suspected of getting covid or have tested positive to covid or i get it myself 
Um, if I turn up to the office, what's the scenario there within the office? So you've got to be able to trace people who've been in close contact with this person. At what point do we decide to take a decision that we're going to close the office? And in the end, we just took the view, it's not going to get any better very quickly. So we're just going to shut all our offices down anyway. So you know, yeah, that kind of, we did two weeks worth of scenario planning and very quickly decided, let's not bother the scenario. So let, let's just close the offices down. So we were very quick before most companies actually uh, to, to close our offices down. That happened early yeah. March, I think it was. And uh, how how often were you meeting as a group, this kind of core crisis management group that you pulled together? Three days a week, and we still yeah. do. We mm-hmm. still do. Um, in terms of um, sort of um, HR's ability to respond to it, because you guys um, or the HR team would have, like everybody else, would have had to have operated remotely. Um, did you have any challenges around um infrastructure and systems, tools, processes um, that actually gave you a, a bit of a headache in having to do all of this work remotely? We found that we are particularly geared up to work remotely, actually. So we have a mm. very good IT infrastructure. The only area where we had problems was in our India office. So we have 200 people in, in Chennai. Mm. Um, and, yeah, that there's cultural, personal and technology issues at play there because mm. a lot of people share homes with family members the broadband's not great etc so the connectivity was an initial issue but again as, as, as because we had this this crisis element to the covid team at that place we very quickly put in orders for i think you know we ordered about 100 data cards for example so those people who had dodgy broadband connection yeah. they were able to get sent data cards so the actual um disruption to the business when we actually did shut the office down was absolutely minimal. You are listening to the Underscore Transformation podcast. If you'd like a few more tools in your crisis management kit bag, why not visit underscore-group.com forward slash CMR toolkit to hone your crisis management skills, lead your organization through recovery. Steve, from a, a city perspective, you're you're you know, shipping thousands of people into major financial centres each each day, and you've got high frequency trading that requires you know, systems being, being managed locally. How, how you know, it sounds like probably quite a challenge. How how was it for you? Well, actually, quite quite similar to what Mark was describing. Obviously, you know, the organisation is very well prepared from a disaster recovery perspective to uh, you know to move critical functions to you know second sites. Um, and you know, in, as well, is is set up to work remotely. Uh, but I think that the biggest challenge from an infrastructure perspective was you don't expect to be able to have to get you know the entire organisation uh, working uh, working remotely uh, within a space of a couple of months. Um, and as Mark was describing, it's it is very similar in terms of phasing. Obviously, our Asia colleagues were living with this um, from January onwards, uh, and then. You know, started to hit uh, in Europe, obviously in February. So once it became a global situation, then I think um, you know the dynamics changed because we had to then get you know more or less the entire organisation uh, working remotely. And there are you know there are certain roles that are obviously site critical, but I think what we found over time is that there were less site dependent positions than we thought, and that mm. we get more and more teams working um, productively. Uh, quicker than we thought we could so i think we learned a lot um you know as we had to react but it it throws up different issues at different points um yeah i was talking about you know the individuals i think it's very very personal from an employee perspective Uh, i think a lot of leaders 
um, you know, might be people who have children and, um, you know, are, are well set up to work at home. Uh, if you think about some of those metropolitan centres where you're hiring lots of people in their 20s, for example, they might be living in, in houses with, with, you know, two or three other people or, and they might not be well set up to work. So, you know, we had lots of situations where people just didn't have the equipment. So we had to respond to, to get people that, that equipment either to reimburse them when they bought it uh, and then obviously to have a more consistent way of, uh, of them buying that equipment through the company it be, and it being delivered to them. So, you know, multiple um, things to think about as, uh, as, as the crisis unfolded. And, and, uh, and I think it's something Richard alluded to. We've had overnight, and you all alluded to, we've had overnight changes to working practices with, you know, just suddenly everyone's remote working that, that can work. So how, how has that changed how people are managed in, in this just this short term? You know, that's a, a question to you all. I, I would say from, I think it very much depends on, on culture. I mean, I think obviously certain positions measurement of performance is very very clear and therefore you know if you have those type of metrics and data that make those type of roles very very easy to measure then i think people are a lot more comfortable with that um i think there's you know because we have a full range of of, uh, of roles and levels and locations there's so many dimensions to to how you manage people so i, I think i think that that culture is, is the critical thing but you know it's something that um, certainly we're still adapting to and obviously you know culture and, and manager capability at all levels is something that we've really focused on so we've uh, we've, we've particularly focused on uh, uh, the learning and development aspect so really focusing on resilient leadership and how we provide examples to managers of how to uh, tackle particular situations that's actually been a kind of daily uh, exercise that, that we've done I think equally, the communication to employees is really, really key. So uh, Mark talked about crisis management. That was something we had daily to begin with, but now it's down to, I think, two times uh, two times a week. But number of town halls, uh, from an HR perspective, we started doing those weekly. Now move those back to every two weeks. Our CEO has conducted town halls on a, a bi-weekly basis. Equally, in each country, leaders have done that. So I think that, that communication's... Uh, strategy is, is is very very critical and again you know has changed over time if you if you think at the beginning people were very very concerned obviously from a personal perspective so some of those questions to start with were you know how quickly we're uh, we're closing offices and, and and getting people set up to work from home and then it comes on to you know what, what's this going to mean for me what's this going to mean for my you know my future and obviously a lot of um, a lot of nervousness around that particularly as governments started to put in intervention measures. So mm. yeah, different, you know, different points of, the, uh, of how the crisis unfolded, I think you've mm. had to respond very differently from a people perspective. You mentioned earlier the, the challenge of, um, of integrating a thousand new hires virtually. I mean, what, what's, how has that been managed and, and uh, is that something of, of the result of that sort of surprised you? Um, did you think it would have been possible prior to to the pandemic to have integrated that number of new people into an organisation in a way in which you've done? Yeah, I, I think definitely. I think a lot of people have been surprised at how well we've been able to do it. I think um, we're primor- primarily an office-based company. Yeah. But if I, just from my personal perspective, if I could go into London four days a week 
and certain days not have meetings with anyone in London and just be on VC, um, you know, with, with multiple mm. people in different locations. But I, I do think that credit, you know, that cultural credit of having built those relationships, if you then go remote, you know, even though a lot of your work already is remote, it's much, much easier. I think the first challenge was obviously, you know, from a technical perspective, how can we remote on board? So I think once we'd, mm. we'd solved, you know, the process and the technology issues, it was then, okay, well, how do we, how do we settle people into, into the company? And, you know, onboarding is something we, you know, we, we focus on in terms of the stimulation anyway, both from a, you know, let's get people understanding how to mm. use systems, let's get them, you know, compliant. Um, but I think, you know, how you, how you embed them in the teams is, is something mm. we're still doing. Um, but I think that comes back to my point around manager capability. I don't think managers are naturally set up to be able to do that. So, you know, that communication of, of how you, uh, you know, how you do check-ins with your teams, for example. So I had actually the, the, the kind of opposite uh, concern as a, as a leader of, of a team, you know, across a number of countries, which was, it's great that we're doing all of this leadership communication because that caters for the big ticket items. But actually, it's very, very personal. You know, it, depending on your individual circumstances, I've got certain people in my team that, you know, were living on their own and therefore may not have seen anyone for, for weeks. So so I think mm-hmm. it really depends on the individual. So making sure that the manager level, you know, that had the teams of, let's say, two to ten people were having really regular check-ins um, mm-hmm. with all of their staff, but particularly those that had joined and never been to an office, was, was really, really critical to make sure that those people um, could culturally uh, embed in the organization. But, you know, it's it's something where uh, we're still learning. Uh, we're putting mm. in various um, new programs to, to support that. Uh, but I think, you know, we're getting to that point now where three, four months in, that's starting to bite a little bit mm. um, because the um, it's becoming more normal. And, and you know, how do you cater for an environment like that? Uh, I think yeah. everyone is challenged by that. And have you noticed any sort of impact on time to productivity of those individuals that have been onboarded remotely or, or has it been largely the same? Um, I think it does depend on, on, on yeah. time, of course. Um, I, can, I can say from, you know, my own perspective um, that we, we have this saying that we say it's not business as usual but we're operating as usual <laughs> and <laughs> we are fully operational. Um, we yeah over over the last three months um, mm. you know, we've hired thousands and thousands of people around the world. So um, we've we've proved that that that's possible. Mm. Uh, the next challenge is how do how do we maintain it uh, in an environment where certain places will go back, um, mm. but there won't be a full capacity in particular offices. Other countries may not be going back. So you're going to get a very mixed pattern as we as we go through these next few phases. Yeah, and Mark, Mark, has that been your experience? Is that to kind of ring true for you? In terms of the the, the cultural impact, yeah, we, you know, assuming that you, at a base level, cultures around how you do stuff, then as a result of of the more or less overnight changes which were made, we had to do a lot of changes to a lot of our processes, and so um, you know, a lot of the ones which uh, you know Steve just talked to, uh, we had to go. 100% virtual so hiring onboarding development I'd say that they've they've been the, the, the most impacted ones um, mm-hmm. it, it's 
led to us to consider how effective we were in the first place at, at, at these particular areas. Um, has time to productivity been impacted? Probably because we were very large before on the onboarding side in particular around doing boot camps in the US. So you know, new hires to our development team or our sales organization or global services, et cetera, they, they went to the US for two or three years worth of training, uh, two or three uh, weeks worth of training in yeah. one go. And all of a sudden that's fallen away. So now we've had to develop remote content and, and you know, remote workshops. So that, that knowledge which you have for three weeks, eight hours a day, you can't possibly hope to, to, to have that over over Zoom. Um, so yes. yeah, we've had to reimagine how we do it. And it's been a good process because you really get to think what is the core of what we're trying to disseminate here. Mm. So it removes a lot of the fluff, I, I, I guess I'd want to say. <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah, the, the key thing here is, is, is you know, whatever you're doing in terms of looking at how COVID has impacted certain aspects of your culture, the way you do things is, is, you know, well, actually there's two things. So one is, 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 um, you, you've got to put employees at the center of what you do. So when you're considering any transition, um, yeah, the first question should be, what is the, the employee experience going to be? And, you know, that should be the anchor point for any subsequent discussion around it and what you eventually roll out. Um, the, the second thing for me is, although, 99% of the companies are kind of in new territory here with all the, the remote stuff. There are businesses out there which have already been doing this. Mm-hmm. And so learning from them is a good thing as well. So, yeah, there's companies like GitHub, for example. There's GitLab as well. Um, yeah, they make their how, – how they're, they're 100% remote, and, and they've got on their website how they do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, GitLab has got their remote working manifesto. And you know, for those of you who are struggling with this in terms of impact on culture and how mm-hmm. you manage the remote environment, it's 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 well worth a read. It's not particularly long, but it, it nails the situation perfectly because it talks to how you manage a distributed rather than centralized organization, uh, you know, the flexible working regime which you put in place rather than working the set work hours. Um, you know, recording knowledge sharing rather than relying on hearsay and verbal explanations. The importance of documenting, uh, documenting process, uh, transparency around your communications. You know the focus on results rather than hours worked. Uh, the importance of comms, all that sort of thing. So there's a lot of good information out there already from companies who are in the situation already pre-COVID. And we, we've, uh, you know, the, there's been a lot of reports in the news, and I'm sure we've all experienced a degree of this ourselves. Is that there, there's been this increase in mental health issues over the past few few months, and a, a lot of these issues arrive at the door of HR. Um, Richard, from your perspective, looking at this from uh, the, the Human Times and looking at these kind of articles and things out there, have have you seen uh, kind of any interesting patterns in this, and uh, any examples maybe of of good practice and uh, how people are responding. Well, Jason, before I do that, I just like to just maybe add a few points to the previous. Oh yes, absolutely. Thanks. Um, points around you know the cultural changes or whatever, uh, and, and um, I mean I think that, that it's, it's from a broader perspective, it's, it's fascinating because what has had to happen over such a short period of time has been you know, totally transformational, you know, getting thousands and thousands of people to just suddenly work at home. That means meant that the employer has had to, you know, from an employer-employee perspective, has had to trust employees an awful lot more, which I think has been quite difficult, mm. um, you know, 
um, because it's not something that employers are are used to. So there's been, you know, I think a, an awful lot more required from the employer in terms of trusting staff to work from home and remotely. Um, there has, I think, this has raised the issue, I think going back to what Mark was saying, I mean, the remote working world is now here. I mean, it gives us a lot more flexibility. I think a lot of organisations are now trying to work out, well, you know, we've got to face the fact that employees will, will not necessarily want to come back into the office all the time. You know, as part of their, their as you say, there are a lot of other organisations who've just fully moved to remote. So, and that's, you know, that that's, you know, it may well be, for example, that employees want to only come into the office for two or three days a week. And, and this is kind of helping organisations understand that people actually can be as productive, if, if not more productive, uh, working from home. So that all needs to be thought through. Um, and, and, you know, I, th- I guess from a recruitment perspective as well, it's going back to Steve's point, you can probably hire people now much bro- more broadly in terms of locations than ever before, mm-hmm. or organisations can. Uh, the idea that you have to, people have to hire people within a country for a role you know it, it, it's probably more less 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 of an issue now than it ever ever was um so so i i think that you know the, the whole employer employee relationship is going to it, it, there's going to be more more questions around around how how that develops into the future from where we are now um there's a lot of things that you know were accepted in the past may not now be true. I mean, it may well be that people actually can work more productively at home uh, and that in the office, being in the office, you know, is not as necessary as people thought it was. Yes, you're going to miss things like, you know, know, maybe innovations, you know, actually being Mm. with people, but a lot of that can potentially be, or some of it, done over Zooms and Teams. So I think there is a challenge for leadership to kind of think about this in terms of, well, you know, how do we, how does this play out from now? What have we learned? And obviously, more importantly than everything, how, how does it impact our customers and how can we deliver better propositions and solutions to our customers? Specifically, for example, I mean, I guess the question now is, when do you need to have a physical meeting and when do you not need to have a physical meeting? Uh-huh. Or what is the the advantage of meeting someone now physically as opposed to remotely? Because there's big impact on those decisions in terms of costs, in terms of relationships, in terms of sales. But I think HR teams need to start thinking that through. I think that, you know, it, it's not, it, it does raise huge, as we know, huge immediate issues really for organizations, especially as we're now going to be moving into a recession. Yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, I mean, we're talking about the recovery, but it may, it may happen. And I hope it does happen. But if you look at you know, all the IMFs, et cetera, talking about is, is we're going to be going into a very difficult period. So we're going to pause the conversation here for this week. Joe, what stood mm. out for you? It's a fascinating discussion. I mean, this is a... Um it's almost been groundbreaking for, for many HR professionals out there mm-hmm. um, and how, and it's been really interesting to see how um, HR have stepped up really um, and taking leadership, uh, taking a leadership role in influencing boards to make the right calls when under, under incredible amounts of pressure that they wouldn't yeah. have experienced ever before. Yeah, and, and I uh, thought it was interesting actually, sorry to cut mm, across you there, yeah. that uh, Mark was talking about actually having to persuade 
senior leaders that this is an issue it's coming we yeah. can see it happening yeah. over in asia you know we need to kind of really get on board with this and meeting some of that resistance and what they had to do to it yeah yeah it. yeah and uh, and you can see that that there, there are boards now you can sense that the board is actually leaning on the hr function to to provide that guidance uh, and yeah. advice that dealing with the chaos in which in which many organizations have sort of found themselves in so it's really interesting and on a practical level um, how City have dealt with the challenge of onboarding a thousand employees uh, or new hires in and remotely. That is really fascinating. I mean, if you if you were to to ask the question um, even probably uh, twelve months ago, um, when technology is so advanced, whether organisations would see that as a feasible option, I'm sure a hundred percent of organisations would probably consider it impossible yes. to onboard onboard that number of people um remotely so that is really uh, in an in, in incredible uh, achievement um for for the for an hr function yeah absolutely and i, I really like mark's mm. point on uh gitlab's remote manifesto yes. um, i've taken a look it's really well yeah, worth a read really yeah. uh, and we've we've included a link in the show notes because uh, yeah it's worth having a, a look through there um uh, and likewise if you'd like to get in touch with any of the um the, uh, the members of the podcast today you you can also find a link to their linkedin profiles in the show notes so well worth have a look there um so it would be great if you could hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss the second part of our discussion uh, where we're going to focus on engagement uh, employee experience what the office is going to be like post-covid hopefully there is a post-covid uh, and some practical advice to surviving the world of zoom meetings um, if you found this week's episode useful please leave a review and share this podcast with your colleagues so thank you for listening and we look forward to catching up with steve mark and richard next week